There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. Soul to soul, welcome, welcome back to our show. Another beautiful Friday afternoon here in Johannesburg as we get ready for Shabbos Kiddush Parshas Bahar Tavshin Pebeis. Thank you, each and every one of you, for taking the time to join us on a very, very short Friday afternoon and hopefully be inspired. Hopefully, learn a little bit about the Pasha. We're going to be speaking quite a lot about the Shemitah, which is such an important facet, especially as we find ourselves in a Shemitah year. At the at the moment, but let's start from the very beginning. The Torah says, Hashem spoke to Amoshe. Says, speak to Israel. When you come to the land, plural, which I am going to give you, and the earth will have its Shabbos. Sheishanim tizra sodecha. Six years, you singular shall plant your field, singular, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and you, singular, shall gather your crops. So the question is, why did the Torah change from the plural, when you, plural, come to the land, to the singular, plant your singular fields? So as good Jews, we'll answer by asking two questions regarding the second paragraph of Krishna. The first question is the the uh, the question same as we just asked now. The second part of Krishna begins in the plural. If you plural diligently obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love Hashem your God, and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then, for your plural lands, right, I will give it rain at the proper time, and then, it changes immediately to the singular, just like in our Pasha, the Yosafto and you singular will gather your digonecha, your singular grain, right? Uh, and your singular wine, and your singular oil. And I'll give grass in your singular field, uh, for your singular animals, and you'll eat. And, and be satisfied. What's the idea? What is trying to be transmitted by this change of tense? The second question is, is actually Tais's question. It's written in Mesechus Brochus that the Rabbanon taught what is the meaning of the Pasuk, your Savta Diganecha, you will gather your grain. So Shimon Yochai said, if a person plows in the plowing season and sows in the sowing season, harvests in the harvest season, threshes in the threshing season, and winnows in the winnow season, then when are people going to be able to learn Torah? And what will become of the Torah? Rather, when Yisrael does HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, their work is performed by others, as it's written, and strangers will stand up and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowsmen and your vine dressers. However, when Kleisol does not perform Hashem's will, then their work will have to be performed by themselves. As it's written, you shall gather your grain. So the pasuk and you singular will gather your singular grain uh, and, and your wine oil is referring to a time when people act in accordance with the will of Hashem. Taisus asks, how can Rabbi Shimon Yochai explain the pasuk as talking about a time when Kaisal does not perform HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, the Pasha begins, It will be if you diligently obey my commandments, which I'm commanding you. So the Rif answers in his commentary, 
He says, the riff explains that Hashem judges the world according to the majority. When the majority acts according to Hashem's will, Hashem sends bracha to the whole world. When the majority does not act properly, Hashem does not send down His bracha in abundance to the world. Since the whole world is judged according to the majority, individuals who do not act properly also benefit since they are part of the whole world and the world was good. Okay, they don't receive equal bracha as the majority since they didn't act like they should have. Nevertheless, they also benefit from the world's prosperity since they are part of the world. Therefore, the plural refers to a time where everyone is doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and everyone benefits. And the singular is when there are individuals who are not doing the will of Hashem, they will benefit from the bracha, but they're still going to have to work and toil their own grounds. This is 1.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, soul to soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kaisher, Ishpashas, Pahar, Tuf, Shin, Pei, Beis, and a warm welcome to all of our radio family. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. And of course, this week, the main feature of the weekly Pasha is something that's so relevant to us. And that is, of course, the mitzvah of Shemitah. Shemitah, which is the main issue in this expansion, also, as we know, the year 5782 Tavshin Pei Beis happens to be a Shemitah year. And throughout the year, all those who are Shemrei Mitzvahs, all those who observe the Torah and its mitzvahs, observe all the details and the particulars pertaining to this mitzvah of Shemitah, right? This year will complete the 826th Shemitah cycle since the beginning of creation, right? Let's look at the Pesukim that deal with this very, very special mitzvah in Vayikra Chofei. So the Torah says, Hashem spoke to Moshe on Sinai, saying, Speak, speak to the and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall observe a Shabbos for Hashem. Six years you may sow your field, and for six years you may prune your vineyard, and you may gather in its crop, but on the seventh year, a complete rest there shall be for the land, Shabbos, for Hashem, your field you shall not sow, and your vineyard you shall not you shall not prune. Rashi comments as follows. Rashi says, What is the connection, the association between Shemitah and Hasinai? After all, all the mitzvahs were told to Israel at Hasinai. Rather, the Pasuk teaches us that just as the general rules and all the fine points of Shemitah were stayed at Arsinai, so too the general rules and all the fine points of all of the mitzvahs were stated at Arsinai. And thus, it's actually taught in Interes Kainim. Now, the Orachayim HaKadosh asks, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu choose the mitzvah of Shemitah specifically to make this fundamental point that the general rules and fine points of all the mitzvahs were said were said at at, at our Sinai. And in order to begin to understand this, so let's begin our our mission to sort of try to answer these questions by introducing uh, an incredible insight into the whole mitzvah of Shemitah, provided by the uh, Rav Mordechai Kohen, who was one of the followers of, of the Arizal in Tzfas, in his famous Sefer, Sifsei Kohen. In this week's Pasha, he comments 
on the following Pasuk. And he says, the Pasuk says that you shall observe and perform all my decrees and follow my ordinances and perform them and you shall dwell securely on the land. The land will give forth its fruits and you will eat to satisfaction and you will dwell securely upon it. And his words are as, as follows. He says, he notes that the Pasuk uses the word Pirya, meaning its fruit, rather than simply saying that it will bear fruit, Pri. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is emphasizing the fact that he created the land specifically for Klai and commanded it to produce fruit without even plowing or sowing. For the fruit it bears as a result of plowing and sowing is not its fruit, period. It's the fruit of man who sowed the seed and then plowed the land. To, to give forth and yield that fruit demands labor and effort because, unfortunately, of man's avera. As it says in Pasha's Precious, by the sweat of your brow shall you eat bread. Yet, if you perform and observe all my mitzvahs, which of course includes all the mitzvahs, right? Uh, the positive mitzvahs and the mitzvahs, let's say, the negative mitzvahs, then the land will give forth its fruits, the fruit I commanded it to yield without the needs for sowing or, plow- or plowing. Proof of this phenomena is the Shemitah year, in which you do not plow or sow, and nevertheless, the ground produces fruit. In this matter, so he interprets the following Pasuk in this week's Pasha. The Pasuk says, and if you're going to ask, what should we eat in the Shemitah year? For we're not going to sow, and we're not going to gather an crop. So Hashem says, I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year, and it will yield a crop sufficient for the three years. Regarding this matter, so the Noyam Elimelech asks a very well-known question in the name of his brother, Rav Zusha. Why did the Torah preface HaKadosh Baruch Hu's remarks with the words, and if you should ask, what will we eat in the seventh year? Even without this question being being posed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could give his bracha. And the Sifzekayin gives the following answer. He says, had you not asked the question, what will we eat? The land would have given forth the fruits that had been consigned to it, as HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, and the land will give forth its fruits. However, since you said, what will we eat? You didn't trust me, and you displayed a lack of faith, so now I have to command my bracha, and it will yield a crop. He didn't say, and the land will give its fruits, right? The very few consigned to it, it will not give, because you unfortunately lack the faith, as demonstrated by your statement. What are we going to eat? Rather, I will command my blessing, and it will yield a crop, not its fruit, but a different, a different crop. Hashem didn't say also, and it will yield pre a fruit, but rather tuvua, a crop, because fruit is already a finished object, ready to be consumed as it is. As Chazal, in fact, stated in the Gemara in, in Shabbos, in the future, Eretz Yisrael is going to produce bread rolls, right? A form of finished bread, similar to fruit. Right? They don't require any baking. They don't require any cooking. They're eaten fresh as they are. That sort of bread is called 
a a fruit. Right? With regards to it, Hashem said, the Nasna Oret Piriya, the bread we have currently, however, is not consumed until it has to be ground and has to be sifted and has to be kneaded and has to be baked. It's not considered a, a, a fruit. So it appears that perhaps we can embellish this beautiful, precious point. To begin with, let's perhaps recall the events leading up to the height of the Eitz Remember, HaKadosh Baruch Hu warned Adam Arishan that from the Eitz Adas, you shall not eat. For on the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Why of all the possible punishments was Adam Arishan punished specifically with the dire punishment of certain death? Additionally, we can try to explain why HaKadosh Baruch also punished Adam Arishan after the Avera in the following manner. As the Apostle says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. So accursed is the ground because of you. Through suffering shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall sprout for you, and you shall eat the herb of the fields. By the sweat of your brow shall you eat bread until you return to the ground from which you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And speaking of return, we'll be back in a moment with much more on the topic. This one, 1.9, Chai FM, soul to soul. We're coming back with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is soul to soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kedish, Parshas, Bahar, in the year Tav Shin Pei Beis, the year of Shemitah. And we are talking about the incredible specter of what Shemitah is. And we're talking particularly about why it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that if you ask what we're going to eat in the Shemitah year, then Hashem will provide a blessing. Had, he, had we not asked, Hashem would have provided an even greater blessing that the earth would have produced fruit without even plowing it. And we're trying to understand this by going back to the very beginning of history and talking about the very, very first Sin, the very, very first hate that was done by Adam Arishan, for which he was punished, that the earth was, was going to produce all kinds of thorns and thistles, and that we were going to have to produce bread from the earth, by the sweat of our, of our brow. And this, of course, needs further clarification, because we have a, a principle in the Gemara, it's actually brought in Sanhedrin, that the Torah does not prescribe a punishment unless we first have been warned. Seeing as HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not warn Adam Rishon that if he ate from the Eitz Adas, he would have to labor for his sustenance by the sweat of his brow. He was, he was threatened with death. But he wasn't told about that the earth was going to be cursed and that he was going to have to work hard. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu impose this particular punishment on him? So perhaps the answer is based on the following Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Hashem Elohim took a man and placed him in Gan Eden to work it and to guard it. Right? The Mephoshim provides the following clarification. What does it mean, La'avda? It means by means of mitzvahs, I say, and to guard it means by means of mitzvahs, la'is, And we find, in fact, similar interpretation in many of the other uh, uh, sources in, in Mephoshim, which say that we have to try 
to endeavor to explain how Achazal derived this interpretation that La'avdo L'Shamra refers to working it and guarding it spiritually by observing the 248 mitzvahs say and 365 mitzvahs loyesasei, why didn't they suffice with this simple explanation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed them in Gan Eden to work and guard it by means of plowing, sowing, harvesting, all the normal farming operations. So, the explanation is probably as follows. Before Adam Arishan did this first primeval sin, with the sin of Eitzadas, he didn't have to physically work the land at all. Due to his incredible level of Kedusha, his very, very lofty spiritual level, he exemplified the, the, that which the, 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 what the Gemara says in, 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 uh, in Brachus, where it says that when Klaiso is doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, all their work is performed by others. As it says, strangers will stand and tend to your flocks. So that's very consistent with what we learn also in a different Gemara in, in Sanhedrin, where the Gemara says there, Rabbi Yehuda ben Tema would say, Adam Arishan would recline in Ganeden, and angels, right, would, would brine meat for him and, and strain wine for him. So therefore, before Adam Arishan even did the Avera, there was no need for Adam Arishan to exert himself <coughs> in the field, to plow, to sow, to clear away the thorns and, 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 and the other stuff. All of the trees and grain grew on their own in accord with the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, without any thorns or any thistles. After the chait of the Eitz however, the earth was cursed, right? As you said, Arur Adama, the, curse, the, 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 girth, the ground is cursed because of you, and bizarre, and through suffering shall you eat of it all the days of your life, right? And the kites vidada and thorns and thistles shall sprout for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the fields, and again by the sweat of your brow shall you eat. In other words, in this light, it's somewhat difficult to try to understand that which was written before the chait. Kashbarhu took Admarishan and placed him in Ganadan to work it and to guard it. That pasuk suggests that it was necessary for Adam to work and protect the trees in Gan Eden. Yet, we've just seen that before the Chet of the Eitzadas, he didn't have to perform any kind of physical labor at all. Everything was laid on, everything was provided for him by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, the, the, the Mepharshim have to interpret the phrase of the Avdol L'Shamra, not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual sense. It didn't mean that he had to physically work and guard the land, but rather to work it by performing mitzvah saseh and to guard it by observing the negative, the mitzvah, the mitzvah loy saseh. So, based on this understanding, now comes the Me'orinayim, and he explains why is it prohibited to perform work on Shabbos Kodesh. As the Gemara explains, Shabbos is me'ein oilam haba. Right? It's, 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 it's a little bit. It's the 60th of oilam haba. And similarly, the Gemara elsewhere says, Rosh Hashanah, that on the seventh day, they would say, a mizmor shir liyoyim ha-Shabbos, a song to the day of Shabbos, liyoyim shakula Shabbos, to a day that's entirely Shabbos. Now, Lord Lava in the future, after the Chet Eitzadas will finally be rectified, it will no longer be necessary to physically labor for one's panasa, for his asnets, as it says in the Gemara 
in in Shabbos. Eretz Yisrael is destined to produce rolls of bread and, and fine woolen garments. You'll go to the tree and you'll pick a jersey. Right? Thus we see that people will not have to exert themselves by, by, by grinding the wheat into flour in order to make rolls of bread. Instead, the land itself will produce rolls ready to be eaten without any further effort or preparation. Therefore, on Shabbos, which is Me'ain Oilam Haba, which is a semblance of Oilam Haba, it's prohibited to perform any kind of work. Everything is done by itself. So therefore, perhaps we can explain this matter in a little bit of greater depth, based on, again, a beautiful, beautiful introduction from the teachings of, of the Arizal in, in Likute Torah, where it says on the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Hashem said, Let us make man in our image as our, as our likeness. And a Chazal take issue. Why did Hashem use the word Nase in the plural? After all, HaKadosh Baruch is the one and only. So therefore, the, the Arizal uh, uh, is of the opinion that HaKadosh Baruch Hu addressed all of the universes and said Nase Adam, indicating that every universe should contribute its part to the creation of man. So that man would be a, a so to speak, a, a microcosm and incorporating within his being all of the entire universe. As a consequence, when he would succeed in correcting his ways, he would actually, in essence, be rectifying the entire creation, all of the universes. If he were to sin, he would then damage and corrupt all of the universes. In fact, he says as, as follows. He says, with regards to the creation of man, so it says, Nase, let us make man, right, in the plural sense. He didn't do so with all of the other creations. Instead, he said, let there be light. Let there be a firmament in the singular. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created each universe so that it could only perceive and ascertain its own level, but not any level above it. This applies to the whole universe, right? To all the different worlds, the Olam HaYitzira, the Olam HaBriya, the Olam HaAsiya. He didn't not create man in this manner because he wanted man to possess the ability to perceive all of the universes, even that which is much, much, much greater than him, and be able to sort of tie them all together. And therefore comes out that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted each and every universe to contribute a part voluntarily so that they would all have, Rahman said, they'd all have mercy. On, on human beings. So, if you were to sin and harm the entire universe, they would all govern for him, so to speak, and seek mercy on his behalf. On the other hand, if man would be meritorious, so then they could all rejoice in his, in his accomplishments. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted them all to contribute a part to him. For this reason, he said Naase, employing the plural form. Because Kershbaka wanted, so to speak, counsel from the entire entourage, above and below, so that they would all contribute a part willingly to man's creation. So was that he received a, a, a portion from all of the uh, uh, components of, of the universe. This, in fact, is what we find in the Torah's description of the creation of Adam Orishan's body, which was created from 
the soil of the earth. It's written, Hashem God formed man of soil from the earth and, and blew into his nostrils, right, uh, uh, the soul of life, and man became a living soul. Rashi comments that Hashem gathered together soil from the entire earth, from the four directions, so that wherever he might die, there the earth will take him in for, for burial. And this, this really requires a lot of explanation. For had Adam Mauritian not sinned with the Eitz he wouldn't have died. So why was it necessary for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to gather so soil from the four corners of the earth for the purpose of creating man's physical body? So, again, perhaps we can sort of bring this all along by providing another amazing idea from, from this forum, which explained that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so generous and so merciful that he provided us with 248 mitzvahs, assay, positive mitzvahs, with which we can sanctify the 248 limbs of our body and 365 negative mitzvahs to protect and guard, right, with which to sanctify our 365 sinews. Furthermore, regarding the following Pasuk, the Pasuk in Kohelis, which says that generations go and generations come, but the earth endures forever. And Chazal tell us that the earth is also composed of 248 limbs and 365, 365 sinews. He says... Everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu created in man, he created in the earth. For example, man has a head, and the earth has a head. As it says in the Pasuk in Mishlei, the head of the dust of the world. Man has eyes, and the earth has eyes. As it says in Pasha Shemais, that the, the Makkah Mitzrayim covered the eye of the earth. Man has ears, and the earth has ears. As, as it says, and uh, give ear, O earth. Man has a mouth, and the earth has a mouth. As it says by Kerach, that the earth opened up its mouth. Man eats, and the earth eats. As it says, right? A, a land that's that eats its inhabitants. Man drinks, and the earth drinks. As, as it says, right? By the rain of the heavens, it drinks, it drinks water. So, based on what we've just learned, we find an amazing, amazing chiddush. Right? I think that that is said by the uh, by the uh, by the Kishlevi. Just as man has to fulfill and observe the two hundred forty-eight mitzvahs, I say in three hundred sixty-five mitzvahs, less I say, in order to sanctify his two hundred forty-eight limbs and three hundred sixty-five sinews, respectively. <coughs> So in the process, he also sanctifies the 248 limbs and 365 sinews of, of, the, uh, of, of, of the earth, right? Because it says in the Midrash that just as man has 248 limbs and 365 sinews, so too does the earth, as it's written, right? The nakedness of the earth, the heart of the earth, right? The navel of the earth and the eye of the earth. Now, the 248 human limbs correspond to the 248 mitzvah And the 365 sinews correspond to the 365 mitzvah That every sinew is obligated to observe lest it, it transgress the prohibition associated with it. The same applies to the earth. Its limbs and sinews are obliged to observe all 613, all 613 mitzvahs. When Yisrael performs the mitzvahs in the land, as a consequence, the land desires and wants Yisrael in the land to perform the 613 mitzvahs of the, of the Torah. So therefore, 
this now brings us full full circle and, and gives us an incredible insight as to why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gathered earth from all four corners of the world in order to create Adam's body. As we learned, the earth has these 248 limbs and 365 sinews, which can only achieve Tikkun through man's actions. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in his infinite wisdom, created man's 248 limbs and 365 sinews from the earth's corresponding limbs and sinews. So, man would perform the 248 mitzvah say, and observe 365 mitzvahs, say, having in mind the tikkun of the earth's 248 limbs and 365 sinews, which are incorporated in, in the human body. And this explains somewhat nicely why it's written that Hashem took Adam Arishon and put him in Gan Eden, la'avda u'leshama. And as we said, that means to do the positive mitzvahs and the negative mitzvahs. Because the whole purpose of creation was so that man would fulfill the 248 mitzvahs, I say, and 365 mitzvahs, lois, I say, and in the process would then achieve tikkun for the earth's 248 uh, limbs and 365 sinews. As a, res- as a result, the earth would produce all sorts of plants and vegetation on its, on its, on its own. So this gives us an, a wonderful understanding about the prohibition against working the land during the Shemitah year. The Torah told us, the earth has to rest, observing a Shabbos. For Hakadosh Baruch and Rashi, we said says, "L'shem Hashem." He has to do it for the sake of Hashem, just as it says in regards to the Shabbos of creation. So it's quite clear from Rashi that the Shemitah year during the seventh year resembles the Shabbos, which is the seventh day. In similar fashion, we see also the the Ebenezer, who says, "Like the day of Shabbos." Here is an allusion to the secret of the days of the worlds. And in fact, the Ebenezer says, in other, in other words, the Shemitah year resembles the Shabbos, for it is also the seventh with respect to the years. Right? See that just as the Shabbos was given in order to understand the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to study his Torah, because all week long man is so busy tending to all of his necessities. Therefore, the special day, he has to seclude himself and rest from work for the honor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He should not even engage in, in speaking about his needs or, or his past dealings. Similar to the Shemitah year, right? Seeing as he should not perform any work in the field, is appropriate for secluding himself in the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his mitzvahs and studying and studying in, in, in his Torah. This then will bring man and the earth that he's connected to to its absolute tikkun and hasten the coming of Moshiach. This is 11.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchas Shabbos segment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul on your back, on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kailis, Pashas, Bahara, Tavshin, Peibes. Hope you had a very, very enjoyable and meaningful Lag Boimer with all its important, all its very, very important messages that it means to give us about Torah, about learning, about Gedoyle, Gedoyle Yisrael. But we are now moving very forward rapidly to this coming Shabbos, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Hilchas Shabbos, about the Swedish Lishas. But before we do that, as we always do at this time, just to give you <clears throat> the very important times you need for this coming Shabbos. So the earliest time for Bench and Licht will be at 20 minutes past four, just about an hour and 40 minutes from, from now, uh, you can light the candles up and get your Shabbos started. 
It's going to be a little bit of a cool one, I think, but let's, we'll get warm when we have the candles, we'll have the warmth of Shabbos, some good food, and we'll make it a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. The latest time for benching this coming Shabbos is nine minutes past five, five oh nine is the latest time for benching lift. Make sure everything is organized and ready by that time. Shkia then is at 27 minutes past time, five. There's your injury time. If you really, really need, if you're stuck you're somewhere in the road and you can't get home until then, that's your absolute latest time for doing malacha on Erev, uh, Erev Shabbos. If you want to be able to daven myrev, and not have to repeat the Krishma. So if you wait till about quarter to six, quarter to six is already night, and then you'll be able to Oymer, and you'll be able to Davin Mayrev, and, and then really get stuck into a beautiful, beautiful, one of the longest Friday nights of the year, but a very, very enjoyable one. Tomorrow, of course, is Pasha's Bahar, not a very long Pasha, but quite important, especially as we've said, the first part deals with the mitzvah of Shemitah, which is so topical. We're actually going through a Shemitah year at, at the moment and the incredible mysterious nefesh and dedication of the farmers who have sort of given up everything for the year in order to keep this very, very important mitzvah of, of Hashem. And then there are a lot of other very, very important things. The Avtaira for this Shabbos is the Avtaira for Pashas Bahar. Again, not Avtaira, we get to see that often because Bahar uh, and are often uh, together and it's only because of the leap year that they are they are separate. So uh, that's the special Haftarah. The Shabbos continues this week. Of course, we are reading Perek Dalit of Perkei Avos. This is the fourth Shabbos between Pesach and Shavuot. So we'll read Perek Dalit. And Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night exactly at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock on the button is the end of, of this week's Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh. And we head forward to another amazing, amazing week. Next week will already be Shabbos Mavarchim. And we're heading, we're heading to two weeks time, two weeks time until, until Shavuos and the big Matan a big three day Yom Tov Shabbos Sunday, Monday coming up with, with, uh, with Shavuos. We are going to talk today a little bit about the mitzvah of Sudash Lashis, what is colloquially called the third meal on, on Shabbos. Now, we know that, as we said, there's a mitzvah to have three meals on Shabbos based on the fact that the Torah says the word Hayoim three times. So the final meal is, is the meal of Shabbos, which is usually eaten sometime during the afternoon. So let's say if someone doesn't have <clears throat> any more bread for Sudashlicious, or it, it's impossible for him to eat bread. So then Bidyevid, and I say that term very, very strictly, that it's only as a last resort. If you simply can't eat bread, <clears throat> then you'd be allowed to fulfill the mitzvah of Sudash with some kind of mezoinus cakes or biscuits or something like that. And even though absolutely certainly the first and second meal of Shabbos, you would not be able to fulfill by having just mezoinus. You have to have bread for the Friday night meal and the Shabbos day meal. Nevertheless, as regards to the shlishis, there's some who say that the the uh, main purpose of the shalshudis is to give us some extra pleasure and not necessarily to satisfy us. And therefore, they say that it's not an obligation specifically to eat to eat bread. And therefore, again, bidiyavad. In a situation where you have no other choice, it's possible to fulfill your obligation of shalshudis with just some mezainas, with just some biscuits. If, let's say, you don't even have any biscuits in the house, no bread and no biscuits, what's going on here, right? Or you push it, you're not able to eat anything at all or any... So then you can have some meat or, or some fish 
and if you don't even have even any meat or fish, then you could at least have some some fruit. And if you're going to have fruit, then because I'll say uh, it's still better if you have some some compote, some cooked fruit. That's still still better because something that is cooked is is considered more of a meal than just a, a raw a raw fruit. Now, certainly in the first instance, a person needs to plan his eating schedule in such a way that he'll be able to eat the sudashli shit with an appetite. In other words, that when you eat the the uh, second meal, the day meal, one has to at least leave a little bit of space. One don't overeat, don't stuff yourself, so that the eating shalshudas will become an impossibility. But rather, you know, kind of uh, uh, modulate yourself, kind of kind of pace yourself, so that you definitely uh, leave a little bit of room for for the shalshudas. Now and therefore, if it comes out, let's say. Nowadays, in in these short winter shabbosas, so it's it's possible that there's not going to be a very very long gap necessarily between lunch and uh, and shalashudas, especially if you sit down and have a long leisurely lunch that maybe goes on till three or four in the afternoon, and basically you get up from the table and 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 go to mincha. So then, yeah, shalashudas is going to be quite quite soon. So therefore, you've got to then control yourself, modulate your eating at the second meal in order that you'll be able to eat these surishlishes with at least some measure of, of appetite. Right? If someone is not careful about that and he finds himself that he's over full and he's just kind of stuffed, so then you could... Uh, uh, you don't have to eat a lot. Shalshus, you don't have to have a big meal. All you have to do, actually, is to have a little bit more than a beitzah. A beitzah, according to Rav Chaim Noah, is maybe uh, just over 50 grams of, of bread. Not a great deal. One little bukala is certainly uh, enough. That's all you have to have. And you're, and you're fulfilling the mitzvah of, of shalshus. Right? But uh, if you can't manage a, a Kabetza, uh, then at least have a kazayas, half of that 26 grams of bread, which certainly one should be able to to uh, to manage. And if even, as you said, a kazayas of bread or some other food, you can't manage to eat without actually causing yourself pain, so then, <laughs> okay, you've lost the mitzvah. And losing a mitzvah is a serious thing. Losing a, a, a privilege of, of doing one of our Kaddish Baruch's mitzvahs is something to be very sad about. You've, you've missed out on a tremendous, tremendous opportunity, says the Shulchan Aruch. Now, according to the Rambam, interesting enough, we actually should make Kiddush. Also, by Shalashudas, we should make a bracha over a cup of wine also by Shalashudas. And there are some people who have understood from that Rambam that in the same way as we make Kiddush before the meal on Shabbos morning, so too we need to make Kiddush before the Sudash Lishit. Practically speaking, uh, most people hold that the mitzvah of Kiddush is one time by night and one time during, during the day and there's no mitzvah to make Kiddush over, over uh, wine by, by, by Shalashudas. Um, I, I remember my maternal grandfather actually doing that, making, making a Kiddush. Just made a Baripriya Gopin. I, I said, Arcane, and made a Baripriya Gopin also at, at Shalashudas Shalashudas time. We're going to come back with a few closing comments in a moment. This is 11.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. And this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 1.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul, back on your way to our last few minutes together. We are talking about the mitzvah of Shalashud, it's the third meal. We just mentioned that there is actually a, 
opinion of the Rambam or some understand the Rambam that want you to actually make Kiddush even at Shalashudis. However, others want to say that probably isn't the intention of the Rambam, but maybe what the Rambam meant to say was that at Shalashudis, being as it is one of the meals of Shabbos, one should eat, drink some wine at that meal simply to have the pleasure of drinking wine on, on Shabbos. And, and other Acharonim agree with them that it's a good idea to make a, a body priyagofen by Sudashlishis just because uh, it's part of celebrating Shabbos. Now, very important, one has to begin the Shalashudis before sunset. And beginning means so long as you've managed to say Hamaitzi before sunset. So that's already considered that you've begun the meal and you're allowed to continue your meal even for many hours, you can go into the wee hours of the night with your, with your shalashudas. But if you were eating before shkia just some biscuits, just some zainas or fruits or veggies or something like that, or you were just drinking, so then as soon as sunset comes, if it's not a bread meal, you have to stop eating at sunset, because that's not considered a proper meal, and therefore it has no continuity, and shkia, you have to stop. And once uh, the the time of, of night comes, and it's already uh, able to make havdalah, so then one is not allowed to eat and, and drink until one makes havdalah. If you didn't manage to start eating shalashudas until after sunset, so you can perhaps still wash and eat for maybe, in this town, about six minutes after uh, a shkia. That might be the last really injury time in terms of shalshudas, but certainly one needs to make an effort to get it started before, before shkia at, uh, at, at all. If it's later than that, then you should not even begin uh, a shalashudas. Right, if you had a chasan uh, and kala at the sheva brachas, and you have a, a minion of of men, so then at the end of it you could make uh, a sheva brachas, and the ideally what you should do is actually allow the the chasen to bench so that he can drink the the kais him and his him and his uh, uh, a wife after brachas. Even though they've already, even though it's already night, and usually we don't drink at the cup of shalshudas, here we're allowed, we, here we are uh, allowed to, because drinking the wine of the Birch uh, of a of a Sheva uh, Brachas is the continuation of their, of their, uh, of their Suda. That really is all the time we're going to have today. Just leaves me a moment to wish each and every one of our radio family a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. It should be a Shabbos of Menucha, a Shabbos of Kedusha, a Shabbos of inspiration, a Shabbos of beautiful family time together with you and those that you love and care about. And Bez Hashem, our keeping of the Shabbos, and as you spoke before, the Shemitah, which is tied up with the Shabbos, should ultimately bring us as we say in the benching, to the Yom Shekulei Shabbos, the day of eternal rest with the coming of Mashiach may happen speedily in our days. To each and every one of our radio family, a beautiful and warm good Shabbos.